Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hall of Famer, Oklahoma's favorite son, Mr. Gerald Briscoe, and we got the six-time WWE Women's Champion. When you combine the Women's and the Divas Championship, and according to internet, she's won the TNA Championship 1,400 times. She's also a country music star, and the biggest thing I'm a mark for, Jim Thorpe Award winner. She's our friend, Mickey James. Mickey, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. That was so nice. I appreciate that. I'm excited to be here, guys. How's it going? Mickey, what a, what a pleasure it is to have you and to have somebody that I can really communicate with. Because, you know, communicating with us and, you know, he's a white man, you know, he's got the white <laughs> man blood. Though. You you got a little native blood in you, so we, we can communicate a heck of a lot better. Just kind of ignore what he says. He's a big fan of Christopher Columbus, by the way. So <laughs> yeah. Ignore all his comments about Chris. <laughs> but well, welcome, welcome to the stories uh, with Frisco and Bradshaw. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Briscoe, I haven't seen you in a long time. I know it hasn't been been too long, too long. So so let's get reacquainted here. And and boy, you know, one of the great things about doing these podcasts, you get to do a lot of research on people that you already know. And, you know, you go with the attitude, well, I know everything about uh, about, uh, Mickey or whoever we have on. What what do I need to do? Then you get in, you start digging up some things, man. What a great career! What a great oh. career you had, and your your start to the business was very unique. Uh, where were you just you just you were you were a fan, and all of a sudden you know I want to do this. Uh, you were up in Virginia, if, if I'm correct on that, mm-hmm. on that, and looking for a place to go. And you you ended up with some of the best trainers in the business, including uh, one of my old rivals, Dory Funk Jr. Oh, thank you. I love Dory so much. I did two of his camps. I did the first one, and then I went back down to Florida and did another camp um, with him. And he was so kind. It was interesting because he would. I mean, he still will get in the ring and work oh. with this these kids. You know, it's it's pretty fascinating that at his age and stuff. But with me, I mean, I was just so, 
I started at a small school and the school that I started at, I even transferred school to go to a school in Baltimore because there wasn't a whole lot of wrestling schools. And I was a wrestling fan. So I didn't even realize that that's how people got into wrestling. I thought that they found these people like circus freaks, right? Because they were so much larger than life to me um, from that fan seat, you know, it was just like, whoa, how do they just find these people? Um, so that was an interesting journey. And obviously just kind of transferred schools. I would do a lot of camps. I did a, a Ricky Morton, Bobby Eaton camp. I did a Ricky steamboat camp. Anytime that there was a way to try to learn and get better, because I obviously realized I wasn't where I wanted to be because I was still on the independence, you know? So, yeah, it's crazy. So how, how do you end up with Dory down there? And I got to tell you this because she gets maligned a lot, but Marty, Marty Fox, when you were down there, Marty, every chance she would get, every time I hey, we got this, and she always called you that a young Indian princess. We got this young Indian princess in our, our school. I think you'd really like her. She's an old school worker, and she's really, really talented. So Marty did everything in her power to, to push you forward there. So She did, and they did also did, and we did those um, camps on the reservations. The, we right. did some of the shows on the reservations, and that's where I've met Steve Islace, who's now doing the WWE game stuff. And he was tagging. Like, I will say she was a huge advocate for me. And I first did the camp when they came, they came up to Virginia to the school. And so they came for like a week uh, and we did a camp there. And then about three months later or so, they invited me to come down to their facility in Florida. And so I went down there for about two weeks and trained. So um, I think that was right after when uh, Amy and uh, Edge and Christian had gone through there. Right. But, right. It was maybe six months, a year after that. Right. So, uh, yeah, they had a lot of talent go through there because I think at the time prior to me doing the camps, they, WWE was sending a lot of talent through their camps as well. They were, and, and, and those names that you mentioned, they really helped spark that camp to, to know where because of the talent level there. But uh, yeah, Marty, Marty, Marty is very unique. That school, I mean, they, it was it was a all-in-one type school. You learned everything right. at that school. That's what I really appreciate about it, Dory, because he, he had everything there. If you wanted to be an announcer, you know, kind of a miniature NXT, and right. he had all, all the equipment there. He invested a lot of money and and and, and a lot of time, and he people they they produce well they produce you and uh, so they produce a lot of stars coming out of that little yeah camp for sure Ocala. Yeah. they did they did Mickey what, what year was this I mean did you when you were in high school did you want to be a wrestler is that all you wanted to be no 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 I watched wrestling as a child and it was like our bonding thing with my dad right so mm. uh, my grandfather my father's father and we'd watch a little bit of wrestling at my mom my parents split when I was two so when I would go see my dad this was our bonding kind of thing with my sisters and um you know that's where I fell in love with wrestling and it was very like Saturday morning wrestling so you know it was when I would see him and then I was training horses I was competing heavily um especially you know through middle and high school uh, with horses. And that's what I thought I was going to do. That's what I, I was going to train and compete with horses. Um, and then it was like after high school and I found myself, uh, I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. What do you do? Right. So, and I'm working in a bar and I'm still riding horses, but more, you know, they're expensive. It's an expensive 
thing. And then when you start to get on your own, you realize that your parents were, my mom was paying for all these shows and stuff. Yeah. And I was, I was wonderful at it, but it was going to be, you know, so, and I was like, I don't, just don't know what to do. And wrestling was really hot at the time. And Bradshaw, you were on TV at that point, you guys were hella hot. And it was like that whole resurgence um, of like this escapism and the reminder of like why I loved wrestling so much in the first place of like these than life characters and stuff. And I would get lost. Like I, I resorted back to like this wild fandom and a buddy of mine who was also working, he was a bouncer at the bar, Chris, he's the one who said, Hey, my friend has a school and it's outside DC. So it's about two hours from here, but you love it so much. I think you should, you should go try it out. Your personality is great. I think you'd be uh, really cool at it. And I'm like, oh, there's a wrestling school. What's this wrestling school? So that that's really what sparked it. And then that was November 98. I walked into the back of a, um, it's called Kaida Pro, but it was in the back of a boxing jujitsu facility. And it was a boxing ring. Oh. And there were some guys in there wrestling shorty smalls I, jimmy z was the owner of this school or whatever and i trained there for about and then i trained there for about a year before i transferred to maryland championship wrestling and that's where i feel like i'm so grateful for that first school and stuff but as you said, it was a boxing ring and then we trained in that for a while until we finally got a wrestling ring in there and stuff but a boxing ring is stiff and i didn't realize the <laughs> yeah. difference until i yeah. found out what a real wrestling ring felt like which still hurts but it's not the same right so, yeah, but then I transferred there and Danny McDivitt, and that's really where I felt like I started getting more opportunities because it was moving a little bit more Northeast. So it was a further of a drive for me, but it opened the door to Ring of Honor and to all these, you know, different, and they would bring in more camps. That's where I did um, the Ricky Steamboat camp and things like that. They brought in Sherry Mattel. So I got to sit there and like really try to pick brains, you know, of different people. It was it was cool and it opened up doors for me and that's how i got the what was it was the school was it how often was it was it was it a weekend school was it a daily school uh, i did typically i did tuesdays and thursdays yeah is what i would do um i think the when I, it was like a it was a two-a-day schedule and there were probably open more but for me to commute it was i was in richmond so the dc drive was to manassas could be an hour and a half, or it could be four hours, depending on the, you know, even if you try to take the back roads, <laughs> but, um, and then Baltimore was very, that, you know, bone breakers was in Baltimore. So it was an extra hour, but you could scoot up the other way, you know, over the bridge. Right. And that's yeah. what I really admired out of, out of all the independent people that really came out of those small schools. If you really wanted it, I mean, it, it was a job. I mean, you had two days a week and you usually had another job to support your, sure. your, your, your habit of wanting to be a professional wrestler. So you spent all your time traveling back and forth. And, and, and we all know just doing it two days a week is really not enough. You got to be a really astute student to be able mm -hmm. to, to grasp all that stuff and yeah. to progress like you did. You must have taken the business just really like this is what I'm going to be and I'm going to make it to, to be a two day uh, a camp like that and then then spread out like you did it. It's remarkable and I, oh, I give a lot a lot of these independent uh, boys and girls a lot of credit for having that desire because that can break your desire real 
quick. You know, you you never have a smooth moment. You're either something's wrong with your car or you're delayed from work or traffic is horrible or something like that. And you show up late. It takes a, a heck of a lot of dedication. And then to go from where you did and even make that next step up, making you had to be a dedicated athlete to, to make those steps there. Well, I think we all had to be at some point to get to that level, you know, and I think that's really becomes the difference maker. Cause I was really, you know, you really are stuck in this point of, do I follow this one thing that is secure and it's safe and it's like, I know I'll make money and I'll be just fine and I'll probably have whatever, or do I follow the dream that's going to be the struggle that's going to be the sleeping in your car that's going to be the road grinding and not having a career per se while you chase this dream because they want you there nine to five and you want off on Friday, Saturdays and Sundays and maybe Thursday and maybe Monday, depending on how far I have to drive for $25 on a tree in Michigan. Yeah. You know, like it was just, and the pay was, and, and I've hopefully, I, you know, I, I feel like the business has kind of done a little bit better, but to make a living wrestling the Indies prior to actually getting a contract is nearly impossible. So you have to have that side hustle. And, um, and we didn't have things like, you know, paid platforms and Patreon and all that stuff. So it was like literally waitressing and then, ask you know that was enough to kind of give you the schedule that you wanted and um I got really it was it was there were some testing times for sure there was a lot of doubtful times and stuff and I moved I remember moving out of my I was so excited to move into my apartment at 18 and be on my own and that this like moment of okay I gotta move back to my grandma's farm because I can't afford my rent and I really want to make it in wrestling and if I want to make it in wrestling I got to do this but it means I can't afford to be on my own. I can't afford it. And, uh, that was like a real reset where I go like, okay, so that means I have to give even more to make it, you know, cause if I'm going to have to set back two steps. So yeah. at what, at what point did you discover, Hey, this is really it. I'm going to I'm going to move back in to save some money so I can have my schedule free. At what point, Mickey, were you promised anything? Were you promised a, an elevation of bookings or you just, uh, you just felt it in your bones that it was time um, to do it. I, it was my, I, my ECW tryout. I think it was about 2000 and I went to, they were in uh, Norfolk, the Norfolk scope. And I remember going in there and I was still very green. You know, I was very, when I say, you know, you start in 98, I had my first pro match, not, it wasn't even pro like practice match at the VFW hall in Stanton. Virginia, you know, March 3rd, 99. So I really on the Indies, you're doing one match a month, maybe if you're lucky, right. Besides practice. So it's still very, very green. And uh, I just remember going in and feeling so out of place, but also eager, but at the same time, I could feel like how green I was and how I could just see, you know, and I was like, I'm not ready for this, but I want, I want this. So what do I need to do to be ready for this? And that was like, I have to get like, learn everything. I really have to learn everything that I can. And uh, I took like 200, it wasn't 200 DDTs from Mikey Whipwreck, but it felt like 200. I remember I did take like 20 DDTs in a row, just up and fed, up and fed. And the idea was to be uh, Beulah McGillicuddy's little sister who was not quite 18 yet. If you ever have Tommy on, you got to ask him the story, but that was the idea for me to come in. But then I go like, God, how wonder how different my career would have been had I come 
and that was my beginning rather than what most people remember as the beginning of Alexis Lurie was either Raven in the gathering for Alexis Lurie or the debut of Mickey James if they didn't see any of that TNA stuff back then so um it just it was unique you know it's just really crazy but and I was really devastated that oh they weren't interesting but they were also going out of business at the time and I wasn't ready so I'm grateful that it didn't happen you know now yeah. So, so uh, it's kind of switched gear there. You're very talented. You, you got a, You got a great singing voice, and you made a, a career out of country music too. Did you, when you had those skills in, in school, was that ever an option to you? Did you ever think, oh, I'll go that direction there? Um, no, I played the violin for about five years, <laughs> middle and high school, um, and I was good. I was. I wouldn't say I was great. I was good. I was like, you know, second string, whatever. Um, but I also wasn't completely dedicated. I love singing and I always wanted to sing, but I just didn't think I was bad at it. Like I would sing in the church choir and my grandfather on my mom's side, like they had a whole native American gospel group that they sung at the churches and they did all kinds of events and festivals and stuff. Um, but I just didn't think I was a good singer. So, but I was, I loved to write and I would write a lot and I would just write melodies or poems or just random crazy thoughts because that's what crazy people do and uh yeah but it wasn't something I pursued I just I remember recording myself and this is the reason I always say this is the reason why I don't think I actively pursued it was I was singing in my room one day and my dad's my stepdad at the time was probably watching football or something in the living room and I was singing Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You to the top of my lungs like in my you know, remember the microphones that would plug into your, and there was an A side and a B side, and you could play the tape, the cassette, because I had cassette because I loved her. Um, and then you, you could record yourself on a blank tape that I would record myself over and over again. So the tape is probably falling apart, but was recording myself singing her song with her, like a duet, if you will. And at some point, probably about after an hour of recording myself, he comes in and he's like, for God's sakes, please stop singing. You're killing me trying to watch the game it you know it's a all one level rancher house my sister's and i's bedroom is in the back you know and so it's really not that far from the living room yeah and then after that day i was like oh god i'm not a very good singer you know what's amazing is uh you know you talk about tommy dreamer they always say like uh everybody's six uh, shades away from kevin bacon you know no one kevin bacon everybody has an association with tommy dreamer Oh, Everybody yeah. he's gone to the residence school. Yeah, I was with Tommy Dreamer. It's, uh, so it's, uh, I, Tommy must be 100 years old, and there must be four of him. Everybody I've ever seen has a story about Tommy Dreamer when they get started or sometime in their life. He's like a chameleon. He's always there. You just don't always see him. No, he was also the head. Uh, he was running kind of OBW at the time when I was there. He'd kind of taken over some of the position there. And so, yeah, Tommy's always had this weird, and now he's – with impact and one of the head agents. So I see him on a weekly basis. Now I love dreamer. Like, Hey, but he's, he's the best. like, obviously the best. And I, I attribute a lot of my, even when I was in OBW, uh, of my sticking around. Cause there was a moment there where I was kind of like, why, why am I doing this? It was like the divas era was kicking off. And I was like, I feel like I'm not even what they're looking for. And I've been working so hard and I feel like I don't understand what I'm doing wrong. Um, and he helped me out through a lot of that too. So and I'm grateful for that, you know, so he's always been in there in my career and like these real kind of cool parts of it, you know. 
Nick Murdoch had a tape that he recorded similar to what you did uh, with, du he says with Dusty, take me drunk. I'm home was the hit song. Uh, and it was, it was really bad. It was, it was not good. So I, I can see why you made it in music and why Dick didn't. But as Mr. Briscoe will attest, Dick was a wonderful Texan that, that did not like Oklahoma. Oh, he was wow. a good man. <laughs> He was a good guy. See, Mickey, he throws these little shots at me every, every, all the time on these shows. And, you know, I'm polite to her guest, so I can't, <laughs> I can't nail him back. Right. I'm, I'm the polite right. one of the two. Everybody knows, everybody knows that, too. He's so, just mad that you guys sit a little bit above him. That's all. Yeah. I had to. You know, like a top hat. <laughs> yeah, I got to show you some of my texts from Mr. Briscoe. I'll show you how polite he is. <laughs> that I get every day. <laughs> So, Mickey, oh, when was it that uh, after that, that period that you started, that then you went from there to, was that Impact that came along first? Uh, I started doing Ring of Honor. And out of Ring of Honor, I'd had some tryouts with Impact that did the first TNA, that set of pay-per-views where they were doing like a 25 Diva Battle Royal. Um, and then I did that. And then I started working with Ring of Honor because I was just, as I moved up to Maryland, I was doing a bunch of different more independence you know so i was running into more people and that's kind of just how it goes you know just going hopefully um and out of ring of honor I was working ring of honor that's when raven came in and he was working a program with cm punk and uh i met him and he was like hey i want to do impact you know doing this thing over there and i really i'm trying to find i want to do like the gathering like the like the flock was but i'm just trying to find the right people for that um, and he asked if I was interested and I'm like, holy crap, this could be, this is amazing. Right. Not only does it like get me on impact or on television and open up more doors for me, but I can kind of sit under the learning tree of Raven and maybe understand the business a little bit better. Cause I'm still trying to figure out what the hell I'm doing out here. And, uh, yeah, so that was really cool because I think that really, I went there and started with that and that opened up the door with my friend Julio, Julio De Niro. And then Punk came in as part of the gathering as well. But I got to work the Clockwork Orange House of Fun match with Jared and Jeff was so kind. And Jerry too, who liked to like, let me come in and especially as a female and do all these cool things that women weren't really doing, you know, like hardcore matches and stuff on television like that especially against men, you know? Um, so it was really, it was cool. It was cool. And that kind of opened up the doors. And at the time they weren't uh, really doing like yearly contracts and stuff. So I could still do my WWE try tryouts in between whatever, a monthly contract or a weekly, I could still do it all. And I think just as I kept learning and as, I mean, I was emailing uh, and calling Dr. Tom, poor Dr. Tom. I would say every other week, at least once a month, he would hear from me of like, did you, Dr. Tom, uh, did you get my tape? Uh, what'd you think of it? What could I have done better? When are you guys going to be kind of close? And even if it wasn't close, like I remember driving home 18 hours from Florida at one point, just because I wanted to, I needed to get in front, you know, I just wanted it. And so yeah. I was desperate at that point. I'm like, I'm broke and I'm desperate and I need this job. 
Did you see women? The women's wrestling changed during that time because you know they're they're ninety eight when you talk about starting. That was the peak of the Attitude Era. You know everything right. was on fire, but the women weren't wrestlers. You know, I no. mean, Tori and Stacy could have been great wrestlers, but they weren't trained, and and their job yeah. wasn't to wrestle. You know, no. so it's not it's not their fault. They're both good athletes. They could have been good wrestlers, but there wasn't really women's wrestling. Well, and I don't think that they needed to be good wrestlers because you had it. There was that spot for them because it, like a safe like those people were so over and fire. And even when Trish first came in as a manager and then you seen her cross over and Lita, she first came in as a manager and you seen her cross over. At, you know, into wrestling. I love that, like Jacqueline and Molly Holly and people like like there. Were, Oh, I always look back to my favorite sensational Sherry. I'm like, she, she was a badass. Like she yeah. wasn't always presented as a wrestler. She was sometimes presented as, you know, a manager for the most part, but I always believed when she would get in the ring that she could still kick ass and she could kick some of the guys asses too. You know, um, I don't know. I still come from that mentality of like, there's a place for everyone. And I don't feel like every feet on the roster should be a five star wrestler because I feel like it takes away from some of the sympathy for me and when we're trying to tell different stories of like the girlfriend character or the just the valet that's not you know that's a little bit more feeble maybe or just not a fighter as much you know um but I definitely I think over the since the time I've been in it it's evolved so so much from like you said a lot of people who were getting into it before that not all of them were wrestlers, nor did they want to be wrestlers to whereas I feel like most of the females that are in the industry today are training specifically because they want to be wrestlers, you know, like they want to be a wrestler. And so the, the bar has been raised because that's what they're training for. And the, because of the opportunities also like that matches the opportunities that they've been giving. And so, you know, it's just kind of raised the bar of what's acceptable for them and what they can do. Yeah, and it's been a seismic shift, you know, from uh, where they were in 98 to where they are uh, today, you know, and, and Lita and Trish, I've always thought that, you know, if they weren't so good, it would have set it back 10 years. It's still, I think it still would have happened, but, you know, right. when they first main evented Raw, you know, they were so good that yeah. it worked, you know, that you had the right two people, and then you came along, uh, you know, you guys were real pioneers for what the women's division is now, and if you guys weren't so good, then it would have taken, it, it was still would have happened, but it would have happened years later. Yeah. Well, and I think it was, thank you for saying that, but I do think like they were so different, but the wrestling, you know, wrestling was so hot at that point, you know, um, when they, I felt like when they were really getting this push and it was like really putting a lot of eyes, like when you say when they talk, when they first main event at Raw or like those freaking crazy hardcore matches that Lisa Marie Victoria would do with them. And then I just like, there was like real key moments for me, even in the business going like, Oh shit, this is pretty groundbreaking because it means that more things are going to come and more things are going to come. And it was just exciting to see, but um, yeah, it's, it's crazy to see now that women are main eventing WrestleMania and people it's not even like a second thought, you know, of like, Oh, this shouldn't happen or this shouldn't be. It's just like, no, that's the main event. That's really, really cool. Um, and I think that I didn't even think that was a possibility for a woman when I first broke into the business, I just wanted to be the best that I could be and hopefully raise the bar to keep growing, you know, um, for myself and for the industry, because I did realize that there was a lot of limitations on women's wrestling because you were looked at as a novelty match 
a lot of times, you know, so. Yeah, and it was tough on women, you know, like like Medusa was a great wrestler, a terrific yeah. wrestler, but she only had Bull Nakano and a couple others to wrestle. You know, right. you know, women back in the day, you know, they travel around, but they wrestled each other and that was it. You know, you'd have, yeah. you'd have a women's match on the card, but it was the same two women that would wrestle all over. Now you have this entire division, but you have the same thing in UFC. I mean, I think society has changed uh, significantly since that time. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Because I think that they recognize that that way they want to see more of that and that there are a lot of badass women. And it's just all how we tell the stories. And I think that's another thing is like, we're starting to tell the stories differently. It's not like, you, you know, the sunny and the slop. And although I found the sunny and the slop bit really funny, but you know, it's not <laughs> stuff like that as much or whatever anymore. It's, it's definitely real issues and real uh, emotions that are going into the matches to kind of help build the drama rather over some petty girly stuff as well. So I don't know. I, it's exciting to see. And I think that it's going to continue to rise and you see it happening across all the promotions of like all these things that women are doing all the time now that they were never doing from blood and hardcore matches and all these things. It's like, whoa, it's crazy. It's crazy times Maybe. and it's exciting. Yeah, it, it, it's exciting and it, it's really good to, you know, John and I talked to the last WrestleMania, you know, to me, the greatest match on the card was that uh, young lady, Bianca Belair. She, they, they stole the show to me, in, in my opinion. Did you, in, in, your, in your dream, when you were beginning, did you guys say, you know, we, we deserve to be main event at WrestleMania. Did, did, did you guys visualize that at any time? And, and, and I know you wanted yeah. it, you know, because you wouldn't, you wouldn't been doing what you were doing if you didn't want to have a main event at WrestleMania. Oh, gosh, but did, yeah. But uh, did you ever feel that feel that way, you know, hey, we're, we're, we're above what they see us now? Oh, 1,000%. I felt like, I mean, I always felt like, you know, women were capable of so much more than what we were given the opportunity for. I, but the reality was, like you said, there weren't a whole lot of women training. So even I would travel with my friend, Bobby Joe Persephone, all the shows in North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Tennessee, we would drive together and do all the shows. She was like my wrestling partner friend because there, she was the, one of the only females that went, wanted to travel and wanted to be a wrestler that we could do it together with. Um, so, but now there's women everywhere, which is really, really cool. But I do think that you say, like, I do, I'm a, um, visionary in that sense of like, I do feel like you have to speak and see it into existence before and touch it and all the things before you can actually. So I would obviously visualize myself. I obviously, I wanted to be on WrestleMania and the WrestleMania card. I feel like every wrestler that that's like, that's the pinnacle. One, the pinnacle of making it always in my eyes was being the women's champion. And I think to be the women's champion and to win it at WrestleMania, that was more than I ever anticipated or expected. And I'm still hella grateful for, but I visualize both of those things separately. And like, I want to be on WrestleMania one day. I want to highlight WrestleMania. And then I also visualize like being the women's champion. And the fact that, that happened there was really freaking right. cool. But I do feel like you have to, see yourself at your goals in order to kind of help break through all crap that it's going to take to get there, you know? Um, and I still do that. I, I feel like that's just, I don't know if that's just a part of my spirituality or whatever it is, but I'm big on that stuff. So, um, but yeah, 
I always wanted to be uh, the best. And I wanted to be like the girls match to be like, Hey, that was a hell of a match. Not that was a hell of a girls match. You know, like those are the stigmas that I wanted to help break down of like, you know, cause I always appreciated. I was like, Oh, that was a hell of a match for girls. And I'm like, oh, thanks. <laughs> you know, like, damn it. Yeah. And that's that was- a huge difference. Cause that, that, that's how it used right. to be judged. Oh, that was yeah. a good match right. for, for girls. Yeah, and that was it. You know, and then you know, like, thank think, you, but also, damn it. <laughs> you know, Finn, right. Finley, uh, we've had on. You know, he was such a such a big part of that women's that whole women's movement. But you know, now you look at a, a match between two women; it's judged on the meritocracy of the match, right? Irrespective of gender. And now, you, you right. know, which is what you want. You know, now it's just normal. And it's like that was either a good match or right. it wasn't a good match. It wasn't a good match because they were women, or you know, for any other reason. Right. Right. Like different standards and stuff. So, um, which is amazing. And, but, and I know that like, and I always say that and I go like, God, I hope whoever would have said that is not offended that I'm saying that because I was grateful for the compliment because I I was like, well, that was better than what they, what it meant to me was like, it was way better than what they anticipated it was going to be. And, um, it was a good match, but it was still, not as good as the guys match and I was so in my competitive brain I'm like I want to be better I want to be better than the guys like I don't I want it to be I want to be the best and I think you have to have that mentality it must feel great that nowadays when 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 a match is compared it's not not compared with with the guys I mean it's compared with with a match on the card you know that's what you want that's what you work your butt off to to get there right and you guys did it yeah I know it's exciting. The girls are killing it too. It's like, it's cool to see all the women stepping up and everyone's so unique and different and it's just exciting. And I think it really gives um, other women and little girls in the audience or whatever, some like uh, aspirations or like to know that it's really, it can happen for all of us, you know? And it kind of like raises the bar of like expectations of what they can do, you know? It, it, it's really, really great. I, I've been, I've been honored and 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 and, uh, and uh, uh, really, really, uh, uh, really uh, pleased with this opportunity that I get to go over NXC, or I used to get to go over NXC all the time and see these trials. We'd have forty a combination of men and women in there. We've had capital there, Mickey, where the women just totally outshine the guys on on any given drill, and you know you got to kind of jump on the guy. And, and you feel bad jumping on the guys kind of belittle the girls but you know they're not stepping it up like the girls come in and they're, they're ready to go right. they're in shape you could tell they've been practicing where guys come in you know you're three months out you know you got a camp and you had you had been on a track or a treadmill at all you come in and it showed and you when you when you go into the camp and you see how dedicated these women these young women that have come in for these tryouts are and how far that I mean, it, it's something that, that even as an old-time male uh, performer, it, it gives me great satisfaction to see these young ladies taking the business so serious and yeah. at this, this time of day and wanting to become a star and not working their, their male counterparts. So, yeah. You know, to me, that, that's just the way that people, because of people like you presented that that image there that I got to work hard if I want to succeed. And now these girls have that in their mind that, they're not just coming down to be an attraction or eye candy. They're coming down to be a competitor. They're coming down to be a main part of our roster there. And I think that goes back on your shoulders and, and all your, 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 your workers there during your time. Oh, so many, 
so many people. I think too, that's a matter of training. I think that there's a lot of it. I, I don't think people realize how much cardio is involved in those camps that they do down there or like what it's going to entail. And I find that women train differently than men. Like we train more, uh, well, at least I do anyway. Like I try to train, like I'm going to train or be in the ring. So it's a lot of like, get my heart rate up and then letting it simmer down for a second and then get my heart rate. And I, I feel like more women do that because we're going after different types of bodies than men are. And so men train heavy and they lift and they tend to slack a little bit more on the cardio. And, um, that's, and so we can keep our wind a little bit because we're not, and you know, men are trying to lift and carry our weight than a lot of the women are. We want to be toned and fit, but no, I don't want to be super jacked, you know, but, uh, those blow up. I mean, I've seen some of the drills just when I was down there guest training or coaching and I was some of the drills they were putting them through. And I'm like, Oh God, if I had to get in here and do all these drills right now, I wonder how, how far I would get, but yeah, it's hard. It's, it's definitely. And I would, it's one thing I say, always say for them to go into those camps of like, make sure your cardio's up. And, you know, we all know that treadmill cardio is not the same as in-ring cardio. Like you need to be doing explosive drills and football drills and calisthenics and stuff like that to freaking pop your heart rate up and blow yourself up a lot. When I was recruiting a talent to go there, I would give, say, they'd, Mr. Briscoe, what do I need to do? I'd give them six words in my response back. Cardio, 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 promo, promo, promo. That's yeah. all I'd tell them. You get those things down and, and you're going to get a job. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But that kills me though. Promo I mean, part. you know, I never understood why these guys try to kill people with cardio. You know, you're famous, these old schools. I had it done to me too. You know, you get in there, you do all the squats, you do all the stuff. You know, that doesn't, I'm you don't do any of those. I get it. You know, you, they want, they want guys that are in shape. They, they want to run off people that, that aren't, that can't make it. But you know, that to me doesn't have that much to do with the wrestling business. Right. No. Yeah. Not like the cardio. That's why I always say it's like more explosive stuffs for me. Like I'll do my squats and then I'll jump into like jump squats or something just to kind of get my heart rate up and then to bring it back down. Because when you think about a pace of a match, it's a lot quick, 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 and then breathe and then slow it down. And then, so that's kind of how I train my cardio. Well, well, what was the most fearful thing for you when you got in that big ring all of a sudden? Here, here's this small uh, little country girl from Virginia. All of a sudden she's in this 18 foot ring. You're looking at those ropes about four foot tall. They're <laughs> telling tall. you, hit, hit, hit the ropes, hit the ropes, hit the ropes. What do I do? And well, I, I noticed a lot of guys, that's especially the, the beginners, that's their downfall in trying to hit those ropes or, 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 or turnbuckles there. Yeah. Um, yeah, the ring was much, was bigger. It was much bigger. Um, but I was more, the most intimidation I had was I wasn't confident in myself. Like I didn't feel like I belonged there. So I, you walk around with these, with your shoulder. It wasn't until like I got the confidence and that probably happened in OBW the most of like, I felt like I wanted to be there so bad, but I didn't feel like I, I was good enough to be there or belong there. So I would, I felt like it took a while to get my confidence up to where it matched being a WWE star on television. If that makes sense of like, I knew I was really great, like good in the ring. Um, but I still felt like I'm just little Mickey James from Virginia and I'm just grateful to be here as we all are, you know? So I think that I walked around a lot, like 
please like me and please don't <laughs> screw up and don't say the wrong thing. And just like second guessing myself all day long, you know, yeah. um, pretty much every time, even <laughs> like in OVW, like even when I first came up on the road, I don't know that that ever kind of left me. And except for this last turn, like my first run, I still felt like I was so when I got switched over to SmackDown, especially, I was like, oh, this is, feels so weird. I feel like the new girl in school all over again. This is weird. And I don't think anybody likes me over here. And oh God, this sucks. <laughs> but I think that's normal. You know, I, yeah. I'd, I'd wrestled all over, all over the world, you know, and I'd wrestled a lot of play, a lot of places. And I came to WWE, and I was <laughs> seeing Shawn Michaels at the, I think it was WrestleMania 12, I think it was Anaheim Pond against Brett in the Iron Man match. And he repelled from the ceiling. And I remember sitting there watching it thinking, I don't belong here. I just, you know, it's just, WWE is an overwhelming machine that, yeah. that a lot of people, when they come in, they never get over being overwhelmed by it. Right. Well, I think it's overwhelmed by personalities and you can see the confidence exude in someone like that. And you're going like, how do I get to that level of, I belong here, but also where it matched my in-ring matches my behind scenes kind of confidence, you know, because I felt like out there I was full of confidence I felt comfortable I was over prepared all the things but behind the scenes I was very like oh was that good enough do I belong here I was constantly there so it's hard because you're surrounded by the best you know you really are you're surrounded by people who also are probably even um I think we're all our own worst critics so even when I watch my matches now I'm still like oh god why did I do that or whatever you know like nothing's ever good enough so I don't know Crazy. But Buddy Landell was the one that smartened me up in Japan. I used to come back like everybody did. And I'd go to everybody in the back. You see my match? How was it? You see my match? How was it? And finally, Buddy pulled me aside. He said, come here, kid. He goes, you look terrible. He goes, you go into everybody. You're begging for approval. He goes, find you one or two people that you trust. Go to them and don't say another word. You know, but right. that, that's the one thing, you know, for, that you see people do. They want to, they want so badly to have be accepted. They come back and they, they'll ask everybody. Half the guys didn't see the match. They'll go, oh, it was great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What part you like? Yeah. The part where you won. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. How was it with, uh, you, you come in and you're with Trish. You're the obsessed oh. stalker fan, one of the hottest stars of, of all time. How was that with Trish? Oh, so fun. It was so fun. And when you were, we were talking about fit earlier, God, I'm so grateful for fit because he made it, he helped make it so, so believable in every, like where the in-ring story matched the story that was happening in the behind the scenes kind of thing. Um, it was so, I, you know, that was like, I think the fifth time, fourth or fifth time that I was supposed to debut. And so that one I go, I didn't even text until I knew that I was actually debuting, I didn't even text my mom or dad that time. Cause I was like, I said, Hey, watch Raw tonight. And then it never happened or whatever a couple of times. So um, I was waiting and waiting going like, Oh shoot, this is really happening this time. And this is really going to happen. But I felt like there was a certain chemistry with Trish and I that I didn't know her at all, really, aside from the few, whenever I, I was at OVW at the time, it would come in when they were in like Columbus or Cincinnati, close enough or Louisville area, and we would always come in. Um, so I'd met her there, but never was super tight with her. So I felt like not only was she super welcoming and accepting and helpful, because she taught me a lot of things that even I felt like I was like camera angles and how do you know which light to look for and all those things. Um, 
while we kind of like created this story and we're given so much freedom and to be able to work with the writers. And I think that's what really helped make it magical is the fact that we had our own input on these characters and how the story went along with the writers, along with the Stephanie, along with whoever was kind of helped in this journey along. And I think that as it started, I don't know that it was ever supposed to go as long as it did, but I think that the people started to, they really loved it. And it just kind of opened up different more and more and more. And it was, it was really cool. And it was cool to see, I was immediately aligned with the top girl. So then it set me there. That was, you know, I was immediately set at the top with the rest of the girls who were considered the best, you know, which I think about the time I was supposed to debut before, and it was with CM Punk as his manager on Sunday Night Heat. And I go like, God, look at the, I wonder what the difference you say again. I prayed so hard and I was so devastated in that moment when it's when Hunter came back and he's like, I like both you guys. I just don't see you together. It's just weird. And they filled that spot with some replays of something else, right. That happened on raw or whatever with Rhino or something. But I was so devastated in that moment. But then I go like, God, how different would my career would be James have been if that would have been my introduction to the WWE universe was Sunday Night Heat, a manager for CM Punk. Like, would it have been great? Probably, yeah, but it wouldn't. It wouldn't have been what Trish and I was, you know, which was really special and it was a game changer. And I think it really started to um, help flip the script to say like, okay, well, women can also be in just two females, a main storyline kind of driven thing. Cause that was really one of the first ones that I can recall that was just, you know, between, you know, and then the involvement of this character to show her up on TV and then Turner and single white female and all the elements. Poor Jack. You guys remember Jack? <laughs> Trisha's boyfriend, Jack, the crazy guy that, yeah. you know, I got rid of his ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mickey, you, you mentioned something. That was such a unique uh, uh, angle there. You bought your as a star how was that presented to you were you comfortable with it i loved it did you have anything you could relate to and, and start in the character well i didn't have to stretch too far to play a crazy woman <laughs> you know no. <laughs> <laughs> no i mean i wrote a lot of elements to that character of this crazy you know single white female kind of super fan i was originally wrote this idea this character for alita I wrote it for Lita and I'd asked Amy, Lita, if I could write this story. Cause I was like, I got this idea for this crate, like this character. And it's, I felt like it really resonated with fandom as a whole. And with being, a, I mean, I was a fan of wrestling. I was a fan of all the things, but you see in my interactions of like coming to tryouts and come and hang out backstage, I would see when you would pull up the fans, like along the thing and just like screaming people's names, the stars on the thing and they're screaming and they're crying. Can I get your autograph? Okay. So that's like fandom. I'd never been one of those people that hardcore of a fan, because quite frankly, we couldn't even, we couldn't afford to go to the live shows. <laughs> right. So, um, but I could just go like, God, imagine like the type of fanship. And then you watch shows of like the same. And I go like, so it kind of inspired me of like, what if it was a wrestling character who was a super fan who finally got this it was a super fan of this one person and finally got this opportunity to be and all they wanted to be was a wwe like it was the dream and all the things but turned up to 11 you know of like what would that feel like and what would that 
doing. And then they kind of, I remember I wrote it and then Michael Hayes uh, said, Hey, we read your storyline. We read your story idea in the meeting the other day. He goes, I was like, Oh really? I was like, well, what'd you think? He goes, I thought it was pretty good. He goes, but Vince loved it. And I was like, Oh really? He goes, yeah. Well, I think, I think this is me also thinking that Michael is ribbing me because I talked to Michael several times before. So he's like, I think you should go in there and walk in Vince's office. And I think you should tell him that you wrote that story and that you know that character and that's your character and nobody's going to be able to do it like you. And I was like, okay. He goes, all right. And then he walks off and I'm like, this is probably about 4 p.m. <laughs> in the day. So, and he came to me two or three times during the day going like, did you talk to Vince yet? And I'm like, no, I'm just an OBW little Lexus. I'm like, no, but no, what? No, I have not talked to, talked to Vince yet, but I did. I waited outside. He goes, because he said, you need to just wait outside his office after the show. I said, okay. And I did. And I was sweating and so nervous, but I did. And I did exactly what he said. And I was like, I walked in, I was like, Mr. He was coming back to his office and it was. And you're uh, still in OBW at this time. I right? was, I was. Thank you. Was, that took so, that took so much for you to have a nerve to do that. And I tell you what, it took you more than uh, like, was, was trusting Michael Hayes. I yeah. was, felt like it was going to be, I, honestly, the amount of time I was sitting outside of his office, just waiting there, I felt like there were cameras on me. Like this is a, this is a, a rib just so that it's going to be replayed for forever of like what's happening right now. And I just was felt like it was an eternity that I was waiting for him. And he came back and I was like, sir, can I have a moment of your time? And he said, absolutely. And I went in and I said what Michael told me to say. I was like, I heard you read my storyline. I, I heard you really liked it and the whole thing. I just want you to know that I wrote that character inside and out. Nobody knows that character like me. Nobody's going to play that character like me. And if you know, you need your next star, I got you or whatever. And he just looked at me. He's like, you got balls, kid. And I go, thanks. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and I was scampered out of his office. And I was like, oh my God. Right. And then I sat in OVW for another six months going, oh shit, what did I do? What did I do? And then they brought me in and it was the same character, same story, but for Trish. And, uh, and then it was, off to the races and did you like, did you that was did a you lot get any of feedback flex. after did you get any feedback after the meeting so like you sat down there in ovw for six months did you have any feedback or you thought oh my goodness i screwed up what what did i do michael got me oh no vince hates me he's like i don't wow. know no i didn't know what i was i was petrified i was like oh my god what did i do i'm gonna i'm on the i'm on the axe <laughs> Well, yeah. if somebody knows crazy, right. it's Michael Hayes. Yeah. Right. And crazy is what crazy does. And if somebody knows crazy, it might be Mickey James. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Scott Steiner did a promo one time. I was so good. I, I love Scotty's promos, by the way. All of them. So I yeah. love Scotty. But uh, he, he, he was doing something about he just returned for, from a time off. And he goes, I didn't come back to win a title in Poughkeepsie. I came back to win a main event. You know, it went on with the whole promo. Winning a title anywhere is awesome, but mm -hmm. you got to win it at WrestleMania. You know, and WrestleMania moments are the moments that, you know, live forever. You know, it's like, I don't know. That's the grand stage. It really is the grand stage. And you got to have yeah. WrestleMania moments for your career. How was that when you found out you're winning the title at WrestleMania? It was overwhelming. 
I, I honestly, it was so overwhelming. It was, uh, I always say if I could bottle up my emotions and I felt like you could feel them and you could see my whole heart in a lot of some of those moments in the match, because I was just lost in some of those points of like, oh my God, this is incredible. And I think that was really the final, that was probably the moment where I go like, I really did it. I really made it. Like, How many years it. have you been in a business at this time, Nick? Well, I, I mean, I say I don't really count the first year because it was learning right. or whatever, but, you know, 99, 2000 is when I really started making the name for myself and stuff. So at that point, it was 2000, April 2006. Uh, yeah, but wow. so That's it was like quick. a journey. Yeah. It was a journey yeah. and it was for some people go like, oh, it wasn't that but it was a lot that had happened in that six year, seven year time span that to get to that moment. And, um, oh man, I can't, I can't even explain like, cause it was joy and it was excitement and it was like looking back on what it took to get there and now being there. And it was like, it was magic. It was so magical. And I go like, I wish I could bottle up that and just give it to people sometimes. And not, not only did you make it, but it was your storyline that got you to that point there, which yeah. is remarkable. Well, it was definitely that, you know, the culmination of that character. And then, yeah. I, I mean, obviously, I say that that was the storyline. You know, I wrote whatever, 18 weeks of TV and maybe four of them actually, four of those ideas made it to TV. But the <laughs> but the working with the writers and with Trish, because with Trish, it just made it so different. And getting to know her and learn with her and our personalities just it wouldn't have worked with a, a character or a personality that didn't mesh so well. And we, we genuinely created like this cool bond and we're still friends to this day because we just have like this unique organic, I think banter back and forth, um, which just worked on screen. And it just, uh, it was different and it was fun. You know, it was so fun. And I think that was the, the best part of it is because it was a fun storyline. So you could kind of, play with it and have all these different elements you know it's funny because you go to like say a comic con or a signing or something you know you see some stars that were you know huge stars from a certain tv show or something doesn't matter how long ago it was if it was right. a huge star with huge ratings you know the attitude era was so hot you know all most of us guys will always be remembered for that attitude era because that's where everybody watched but right. you guys were the pioneers of the women's movement and right. so you, you will probably always be remembered most for that time that you were with Trish that you were with Lita that you were the first group that was bringing in this women's movement that's got to be pretty cool that after all these years people still remember you as one of those pioneers and you're the one that started this, yeah. this movement and you were the ones that laid the foundation for the women today well I'm certainly honored to be aligned with those ladies you know because to me those were the women when I was trying to break in that were doing it that were kicking down the doors for me or like the Mollies or the Jacqueline's or when I go back of you know, sensational Sherry and you know, freaking all the way back to just like how much women's wrestling's evolved, you know, but I felt like super honored to be even put in their basket with them, you know, because I felt like they did so much work prior to me even getting there. And then like, it was really Trish working that angle with me and that angle that kind of set the pace of Mickey James. But then Amy, I had her retirement match and at some, at the um, survivor series at before she retired and left. And so it's like, that was really the end of that golden era of like what I called of, of with the Molly Holly and Jacqueline and, and then 
and Ivory and that whole kind of group of the girls that I was watching. I remember when Ivory came down to OVW and it was awesome because I felt like I could learn from somebody who was on television where I wanted to be and in that space of like changing the game for us then. So I don't know. And then it, it's just weird. And it's crazy to see the progression of like, even of like the dips and the curves since then. But it's funny that, uh, that I've done a lot since then. And that's still the thing that most people talk about, you know, like you said, cause that just era of wrestling was so hot. And I think it just inspired this whole generation of wrestlers now that, you know, are all trying to be that level. And it's like getting the business back to that level of hotness. That's the real question. <laughs> that's, that's right. But you know what? It's, it's like people always bring up, you know, Cena's 20th uh, anniversary. You know, he won his first title for me at WrestleMania. And people bring up all the time. So so did you know about John? Like, Guys, I had a rest of a career. I actually did a few other things. <laughs> which i don't i don't i don't I, and i say that joking because i don't mind at all i think it's wonderful that, that people bring it up and i was there yeah. for you know seeing it to win the first title but i know how you feel with it you know when people bring up a certain point thank goodness yeah. it's a good point you know it's not yeah. a bad point it's like something like hey thousand percent yeah 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 are you you always been stooge too i remember you when <laughs> that's right that's right that's right <laughs> <laughs> somebody was talking about jerry one day and he goes yeah he, he was the stooge guy and i go you know he was actually like this really good amateur wrestler and really good professional wrestler and, and, and yeah so funny <laughs> and same with same with fit finley you know fit finley was he was a great wrestler. i mean also incredible also incredible and something you remember for him is being the trainer for the women's division which is also awesome but you know he had this 30-year career before that that was pretty freaking good pretty freaking amazing and you think about fit was handed the girls kind of as a rib of yeah like <laughs> right here you take the ladies i was the one that had to pass that along to him can you imagine that made him fit you know <laughs> we, we got a new assignment for you yeah what is it uh, well we'd like you to take over the, the web division you know they, they've just been uh, looked at as not a competitor here in the past and we want we want to change that perception of them and Vince thinks you're the guy that can change that perception of them that's basically how it went down and And it wasn't really wild on it in the beginning but man when he when he bought into it there was not Uh, a better coach in our industry than fit family no doubt no doubt I say that a thousand percent and he would treat us like the boy. And I think that's what I appreciated the most is that he would fight us like the boys, like, and he would expect it out of us. And he would, and if we didn't understand it, he'd show it to us and he, he'd physically show it to us and say, this is how it goes. This is how it feels. So, you knew, and I'm just like, I just, um, he never like daintied around with us or treated us like just, you know, Oh, they need special treatment because they're the girls. He, he was more of, I want to get you to the level of you're taken seriously. I want to get you guys. And I felt like it was a for him too, of like, I want to get these girls. I got to given the girls. And so I'm going to show them what these girls can do. And yeah. And not, not only that, he, he took care of you guys politically backstage yes. too. The guy was on your side, a hundred percent in and out of the ring. And, you know, and I always felt really bad because I was kind of the controller at the time, the, the, the Scrooge with the time, you know, and I, every time I never felt, you know, the, the segment before the ladies match would, would, would go long. But I got ahead of it to the ladies 
John, every time I, I girls, you've lost two minutes. They, they wouldn't argue with me the way the guys do. They said, yes, sir. <laughs> they, 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 but they immediately knew how to take out that spot where they could make. And then the girls were the, the best in the world, John, of hitting their time and nailing their time. Even though they got, they got jerked out of their time a lot, a lot, a lot. We did. Just about every match, you know. But Pretty they much just, every match. But I felt like we always prepared. We had our, like, obviously you go like, Okay, what would we lose if we lose a minute? What would we lose if we lose two minutes? Because it would happen so often, you know. But at that point, we were just grateful to get the opportunity to go out there because you always say maximize your minutes and make the most of each moment, right? Like that, if you have a 30-second promo, it better be golden, you know, 30 seconds of gold, right? The same if you got a four-minute match. And for the most part, we tried to always deliver and still tried to hit our even if frustrated that we've lost our time we're like and, 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 and i gotta pat myself on the shoulder every time i got a couple of spare minutes and i saw mickey's name on the card i knew where that two spare minutes were going oh, I always I love you. <laughs> <laughs> oh i love you yeah you know that's that's not an easy thing to do it, it is if you if, if you've been around the business a long time you know you say take out a couple minutes of an eight minute match you know that's a quarter of the match that's you know, yeah but, if you're young in the business and you don't really know what you're doing, a lot of times you planned out eight minutes and yeah. you have a real hard time taking out a quarter of the match because you have no idea about time. So it says a lot. It says a lot about you guys that you could take out two minutes and still hit your time cue because that's not really, that's not that easy, but that's something that comes with experience and, and a right. lot of time in the ring. Yeah. Well, John, well, I got to tell you about the girls. If they were ever told they had eight minutes, they they would they'd been overjoyed. I would have gotten never hugging and 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 and, and, <laughs> and they're in a room there. But they were always handed six minutes. Then they would lose two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> With entrances. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But you guys made hug. it. You made it work, though. That, we that did. Was a great thing. We made did. It work. Yeah. You have to. You have to make Mickey, when did you decide? Because you, you said earlier that you, I think you have a wonderful voice, and I love your, I love your albums. Uh, Thank you. I think they're, I think they're fantastic. Thank uh, you. When, when did you decide that you were going to start putting stuff like that out again? That was your seems seems to be like your real passion or one of your. Real I do. Passion. It is one of my. It's an outlet, you know, because it's just these are just thoughts and feelings that I put down on paper because wrestling you have to be so tough all the time right like you had to have a, it's not it's become more acceptable to be a little bit more sensitive and to be more open with that now but I always felt like I kept a lot of how I was feeling on the other side you know just kind of bought or I would keep them in my journal notebooks and stuff I've always been a bit of a but I think that once I finally made it in WWE and then I was up there and I it was something just like a triggering of I'm not doing music anymore and I have less time for my horses. And uh, it was a dream. It was something that I thought that I wasn't good enough at. And I go like, well, I achieved this dream of wrestling that nobody thought I was going to make or do. And I don't understand why I'm still letting, it was, I think it was one of those things. It was a mental thing for me because I go like, I don't know why I'm still allowing this thought of like, I'm not good enough for my music. I was like, even if it's just what I wrote, I just need to do it just for me, just to say that I did it because I feel like it's something that's blocked me um, creatively or just like on, on a soul level. So um, that's what made me do it. Like I was on the road. I think it was like 2000, I put the first album out in 2010. So I was on the road for about, I was doing school. I was going to uh, college on 
when I first debuted. So the first about year and a half of myself on the road, I was still attending classes online and doing all the thing to get my business degree. And so once I graduated, I'm like, okay, well now what am I going to do? Because um, I'm still wrestling. I'm on the road. I also traveled by myself a lot. I do, for the most part, I always traveled by myself. So I do a lot. Of, and I was a night driver. So I do a lot of thinking in my car after the matches and driving to the next town. I was just started writing and writing and writing more. And I found myself writing in melodies and writing in the thing. And it just kind of kept, and I would sing in my car and all the things. And I was like, I don't know. It was just one random day on the road, probably, you know, in Nebraska or whatever, where I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go take these songs. Like I've been working with some other songwriters back home. Like in the meantime, I was like, I'm just going to go take these songs to Nashville and just cut them just to say that I did it. Because the only reason why I never did it is because I thought someone else told me I wasn't good enough. Um, but I'm just going to do it for me. And that's what started it. And then I met my first producer, Wells. He's Dolly Parton's um, guitar player. And he, I had met a bunch of producers in town, but he was the first one who goes like, you know what? you have a really unique sound and a unique voice um, and your songs, you know, creatively, like I'm still green in a songwriters, or at least people that do that for a living, like just write songs, right. For other people. And they was like, we'll put, get you with some songwriters to get your songwriting up, like to keep growing on that. He goes, but I think we could put a couple of your songs on this album, but I think you should do a full album and not just these. I think I had like four or five songs that I'd written that I thought were good enough. He's like, I think we should use like, three or four of these and then get some other ones. But I think that we should do a full album. And it was like him that really helped guide me through that first album. And then so much came out of it. And then I got my confidence up. I kept writing. Um, I got signed with E1 Music Nashville and Van Fletcher from there hooked me up with a bunch of different songwriters as well. And my first producer, Jamie Lee Thurston on that album kind of helped me because he's a songwriter too. It's just constant growing. It's the same. I use the same almost formula as I did in wrestling of like just constantly learning from either my producers um, like RS field for that producer. He was incredible. And just like his ear on music and what was good and what wasn't good. And then now I work with my friend, Sean um, Gassaway with my firewater records, which is just like stuff that I've been putting my personal stuff out on now. And I just got a distribution deal for it. So to be able to get it out on all the platforms and to get it up on Vivo for my music videos. So it's more of like a legit distribution platform and not just like a CD baby, which is a lot of independent artists use. Um, so yeah, it's just been, and just keep writing and writing and writing. And I, I think I've changed my goal in music of like, I just really want to out good music that I love and write stories that I love. And if, whether I'm singing the song or somebody else wants to sing the song, it's flattering, you know, if somebody else wants to sing her song or if it resonates because it's storytelling to me. And that's what I really love is between wrestling and music and writing it's just the storytelling, you know, aspect of it. So how was the performing uh, singing? You, you were out with a lot of other great groups, great musical stars. How was it performing uh, night after night music, say, say compared to wrestling? Oh, it's a different type of exhaustion, isn't it? Like, cause your voice, it's all on your voice. And what would be really difficult was when I would do uh, a wrestling show and then I would follow it up with later that night, I would go do a musical performance because now I've screamed in the match and yelled in the match. So my voice is all like struggling. 
and then gone and performed an hour set at the bar at midnight from midnight to one. Um, and those were so much fun. They were like, do like after parties and stuff. They were a lot of fun and the fans loved them. But at the same time, I was like, those were really hard. Um, it's a lot of pressure too, because I mean, I've opened up for like Montgomery Gentry and Gretchen Wilson. I was so nervous because I loved both, both those groups. And I loved Gretchen. Like I was like, she's so freaking cool. And to have to open for them and like know that they're listening and, you know, it could have been the same as like, you know, at the wrestling behind the stage. Hey, did you watch my set? And they didn't see like one <laughs> right. side of it, right? Oh, you were uh, great. You were great. Yeah, you were great. It was, it was wonderful. Uh, he had no, no clue, right? No, but it was cool. I, di- I did a thing with Little Big Town. Um, I opened uh, for Chris Stapleton at the Kentucky Chicken Festival. <laughs> way back before he blew up and it was like right they were just starting to promote that album but it was right before he blew up from that and i just remember watching for me i i'm going like this guy is incredible like he's so much better than me (laughs) like he's so good and you know a couple months later here he is he's you know Good. And in all kinds of awards. <laughs> yeah, he's in, he's incredible. What a lot of people didn't know is that he was also in the Steel Drivers, which was like a little, not like a little band, but if you go download, it's like more, um, uh, more like bluegrassy kind of stuff, but they would play downtown Nashville a lot too. And he was writing songs for other people and all those things before he blew up as a separate artist away from them. And I was like, oh, but you know, you find these people and then I like, you become a fan of them personally, but you also go back and listen to like different stuff. And I didn't know anything really about that until, you know, I watched him that day. And I was like, dude, he's so good. Yeah. And he's got a unique sound. It's, it's a kind of unique, uh, like Willie is unique. You know, it's a unique, it's not, a, it's not a typical voice and not a typical song set. No, I feel you hear his whole soul. I think when he's singing, you can hear it all. So you really He's enjoy, like what the hell? <laughs> so, you, so you really uh you really enjoy writing, right? Writing, yeah. And so is that something that you want to do more of, say, outside of the music business? I mean, you obviously written wrestling storylines, you were an executive producer of NWA. I mean, is that something that is that a progression of your career that you want to go to? I mean, sometimes just because you're uh, doing something doesn't mean you want to do it, don't don't want to do it for a job, it might just be an outlet for you, but is it something you want right. to do more of? Yeah, I have been actually, you know, I, I took a novel class in high school, creative writing class, and, and I've always been uh, English and um, literature and stuff was always, I aced, I was so good, it was math that I struggled in, I don't know why I got my degree in business, because I actually hate math, but I love arts, I took a lot of arts, and it's just been all those, I'm just an artsy, fartsy kind of gal. John. So I just really like appreciate that, like good literature and good uh, music. And like, to me, like a, a writing is like a song because it kind of like sings, you know, it just kind of sings you along the, the thing for me. Um, and songs are like, they, they kind of coincide a lot. Uh, I have, I like writing. I don't know that's going to go. I've obviously been working on like projects from show pitches or more songs and all the things but that's just some of my writing is very personal it's just for me and then some writing is more for ideas and stuff like that so I'll keep writing because it's a way to get all these thoughts out of my head (laughs) you mentioned traveling alone I I saw you uh in Liverpool when uh you lost your whole family it was a a a tragic event (laughs) 
Oh my God. I can't <laughs> unlive it. I can't unlive it. <laughs> so we, Briscoe, did he tell you the story of what happened? Did you know? Not, not, he told me his side of the story. <laughs> I want to hear the truth. I want to hear the truth, not the text. Well, it's pro it probably is the truth, what he told you, because I've never been more ashamed and i just don't know <laughs> what to think we get to mind you we've had this trip booked and it's going to be great and we haven't to see nick's family in england at that point since for like three years we finally went back by the way we went for a whole week and we only visited no work just visited so we get to and we had been pumping this whole thing up donovan had told his school about it how great it was going to be like, oh, it's the first time we're going to England in almost three years. It's going to be a big trip. We're going to visit the family. We're going to do all the things. We get to the airport. And Nick kind of looks at Donovan's passport and he goes, oh, shit, it's expired. And I'm like, <laughs> no, shut up. You're lying. So she asks for the passport. I hand it to him. We hand it. And she's like, well, do you, ha do you have a valid passport? And I go, what do you mean? No, that's his passport. That's it. Children's passports expire every five years. If you're wondering, they don't go 10 years like adult passports. They only go five years. So she says to me, yeah, this one expired two years ago, wow. two <laughs> years ago. Cause he's, we've traveled since he was an infant, you know? So he still had his infant picture on his now. It, as soon as she goes, she goes, well, children's passports only last every five. It, like it triggered immediately. I go like, oh my God, I remember them saying that when we first got his passport, but I just hadn't thought about it. So yes, his passport was expired and his face went from, I'm like, we had to make that decision of like, okay, who's going to go, who's going to stay. Um, and it was the first time Trish and I were signing together. I would have originally just sent Nick and I would have stayed home, but um, I kind of had to go to the convention. It was, so I went and I left Nick and Donovan at home and I cannot still to this day unsee Donovan's face when I, Oh, that's just him. terrible. I oh, felt so boy. sorry for you. Jerry, he was Jerry I saw, I saw, I saw her at the airport and I felt so bad for her. She goes, I just lost not. my whole family. I go, and she told me the story. I said, Oh my God, that is, wow. it's terrible. <laughs> Oh, but he has yeah. not stopped ribbing me on it. Going, no, 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 of course your family? Not. Once, <laughs> once, once I realized it was okay, then, then I told everybody. Fine. I told everybody. Mick, Mickey lost her whole family. It's tragic. Yeah. Everybody knew I lost my whole family coming over. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we had a good time. We had to make the best of the situation. We all still had a great time. It was a great time. It was a good time. It was a good yeah. time. It was a fun time. I had, yeah. you know, it's the first international trip I'd taken during COVID. So it was, yeah. it was nice to go somewhere. And I got the, you your first millionaire shortbread. You did. Yes. yes. <laughs> it was excellent. It was excellent. Yes. Thank yeah. you. You're welcome. <laughs> I should have bought something for you. You're the one that lost your family. I feel terrible. I know. I know. It's okay. It's all right. Next time. Yeah, you you gave him a story that he's told worldwide. Don't make you back. <laughs> he loves it. He loves it. Yeah, Who right. loses their family? How'd you that's lose right. their family? I was there's on nothing, the way back. You know, we had nothing, to take there's nothing more helpless. There's nothing more helpless when you get to those customs agents and they shake their head no. And you you know you oh. have no rights. You have you can't say nothing. No. You're stuck. Yeah. You're absolutely yeah. stuck. And I was just like so yeah, we ended up having and then, an then everything comes flashing back to you. I remember that lady telling me five years. You know, Immediately. I'm like, oh yeah. my God. I couldn't believe it. 
all, all the way back, Jerry, we had to take a COVID test, you know, to get back in the States. Right. And yeah. so they hand us this self-administered COVID test. And uh, <laughs> I said, so what happens if I fail now? And he goes, well, you're quarantined for whatever, 14 days. Yeah. And so he left and came back and I'm still, hold, still holding it. And he goes, you taking it? I said, yes, sir. <laughs> I'm not taking a risk of getting stuck. <laughs> You're like, no, sir. Yeah. yeah. I felt like they watched me do mine. Uh, Mickey, Mickey, we really appreciate you coming uh, on and taking this time with these two old boys here. And uh and we really enjoyed it. We want we've been wanting to have you on for for, for quite some time now and the schedule's just worked out for us. So thank you so much. Where, oh. where, where, can, the, where can the, our fans find you and what's going on with Mickey James out you want to you talk about? Oh, so many things. Um, I have God TV on Wednesdays. I have Busted Open on Wednesday mornings. You can just go to mickeyjames.com. It has all my stuff there. Okay, there Super you go. Super easy. Oh. How Super do you like easy. working with that Bubba Dudley fella? <laughs> well, I do uh, Wednesdays with uh, just David and... I've done a couple things with where Bubba's called in, but I do with David and Tommy on Wednesday. Oh, I got you. I, I, I didn't yeah. realize they, they switch. Yeah. So sometimes they switch around depending on availability or something, you know. So I love Bubba. Bubba's interviewed. Oh, he's awesome. I, I, I love Bubba yeah. too. Always have. Yeah. He's an acquired by some people, but I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> Sort of like no, I thank you. I hope my T-shirt's in the mail, though. I don't have one of those B squared W O. There you go, uh, Mr. Briscoe. one, John, 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 John. John's the finance guy on this. Oh, thing. he's so, the finance. So, so well, he's in the Baja, Well, he's in Bermuda right now, so it may take yeah. a while to ship it from there. We are, just got che- <laughs> your check for the appearance will be arriving soon, <laughs> along with your shirt there. <laughs> right, right. Well, we'll we'll get you one, Mickey. Oh, well, they just got, what'd you say? You just got Rocky too. So I feel like I'll be waiting a while, but that's all that's right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the internet probably has been cutting in and out. So I've, yeah, we're, we're a little behind times here. Yeah. <laughs> like about 1950 in Bermuda right now. I can't wait to come. <laughs> Mickey, thank you. Hey, thank you so much for coming oh, on. Oh, thank you guys. I've always appreciate it. been a big fan of yours, a friend of yours, and so proud Ditto. of you for all your success. And well, when you were doing the pay-per-view, I sent you a note. I was, I really, I was thrilled for you. I think you just, you're, you're a terrific oh. person. And thank you for coming on the show with two old thank guys. Thank you so much. I appreciate oh. you guys. Thank you. Thank you.